Hello, and welcome to the Watch Finale. Thank you so much for joining us on this arc's emotional journey. Recording this game was an incredible amount of fun, and it has been truly wonderful to stitch it together into its final form. I've got just a couple of announcements, and then you can dive right into the episode. First off, we're going to be following up this release with our usual post-apocalypse segment, which means we'll be doing a retrospective on the system and our story, as well as answering any listener questions. I'll be opening a Twitter thread on December 1st when this episode drops, asking for any thoughts or questions you'd like us to respond to in the episode. And I'll also be asking around in our channel on the Cast Junkie Discord server. So please find us there, and we'll do our best to respond to questions about the arc, the show, or more general questions if you have them. And if you find yourself basking in that post-finale glow without any questions, maybe instead share your enthusiasm for the show by posting about it on social media, sharing it with a friend, or leaving us a review. We would love to hear your feedback. And if you find yourself craving even more from The Watch, you could join our Patreon and access bloopers and behind-the-scene tidbits from the ARC, available now. Links, as always, are in the show notes. And finally, I have a very special plug for the Monster of the Week podcast, Meddling with Monsters, which, if you're not new here, you'll have heard me mention more than once. Dana, our guest, the voice of Teddy and the creative mind behind all of our music this arc, is the keeper and producer for Meddling with Monsters. And despite us spending more than one mid-roll talking about how great her show is, we haven't actually run a promo from them before? But we're fixing that today. Uh, after our finale, there's a clip from the show to whet your appetite for their story. Be sure to check it out afterwards. For now, I'll let you get to it. Thanks again. Enjoy. Last time on Trials of the Apocalypse. After the clan's leader died, he had two children, an older daughter that was one of the few people Teddy was close to, and then a, a younger son. He was supposed to become the leader. He was proud and a little arrogant and just not suited for the role, and she killed him. Even beyond them in danger are the embers, uh, sometimes called the zealots who are the perfected men of the shadow. The Field Marshal Deannis is the only person to fight one one-on-one -on -one and live. We uh, have a grand plan at recovering much of, especially the Tulso and Thaisen lands. Teddy, you see oh, one, you see someone yep. who immediately you recognize. I just recognized. realized as soon as I said this. <laughs> Uh, Parda, your longtime friend, uh, and the woman who you set up to lead your clan. Yep. I have done you the favor in there of securing you a meaningless mission. In the main street that leads out to the gate, there are rows on bended knee, heads bowed, of cogs at the ready. That's my brother. What are you doing? And I think actually that is when she looks back at Erdo with that you made me do this face because she is, in her mind, the fact that she might be hurting Fee, like she needs to offload that onto someone else. Um, yeah. And then she puts the crown on. Teddy will be court-martialed. The commander's will will be final. What are your orders? What are your orders? Think for your fucking selves. <laughs>
So I think I think we're back at the foothold. Um, I, we are high leveling our way over. I wish we like if we had another two or three hours and like several more episodes to add, then we'd do a lot of the denouement stuff and like blowing off steam. Yeah, we'd blow off some steam. We'd do some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I think we we invested our time elsewhere, and sometimes that's how it happens. So we're gonna we're gonna be back at the foothold, um, and we're gonna have a few scenes here to tidy up. I know the one that you want. Um, I think it's gonna happen in Teddy's cell, where where she's currently being kept. <laughs> Fair enough. I think I think in some part of her is like, yeah, this sounds about right. Like I'm not happy with it. Wait, I, I knew it was. I... Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just had an idea. Please no, finish. No, 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 that, that was it. That was it. I want to hear what the rest of it is. Um. I want the socks closing scene to immediately follow Teddy's closing scene in the same location. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Okay, I'll hold on to that. <laughs> um, Any other thoughts from everyone? Erdo would pass to Pasak a note to pass on to Teddy. Oh, interesting. Okay. I think both being royally pissed at Teddy still, now at zero camaraderie, and also on the professional level, maintaining some distance so as to not taint the perception of the relationship there and yeah. possibly impact the trial to happen. And, and also, there was a degree of Erdo's complicitness in what transpired, and I imagine putting a little bit of distance there is important. Yeah. Erdo's priority is not self-preservation, but she's not stupid. Yeah. You're at this table. Yeah, I am. Do you get a scene, and is that scene meeting with the field marshal again? Could be. Because, like, Erdo wants to lay everything on the metaphorical and possibly physical table. So I think, from from my perspective, I think a scene with Erdo and Deannis, um, just a excerpt of that I could see being really good. Um, I want to hear from Emma first before sort of making final editorial decisions here. What are you thinking for Fee? Uh, I want a note in some scene where Fum is yeah. uh, that around his neck and probably like around his arms on bands, like he has pretty much every charm that he <laughs> can make. Aww. Love that. And like that is her taking care of him as best she can. Uh, I think another thing that Pasak gets to take to Teddy, uh, I think Fum bakes Mm. Um, and I think that he probably with some of Fee's help, they've made a uh, a blackberry cobbler to give to Teddy. That's adorable. Yeah. So Fee then, uh, oh, this is, especially since this is now probably going to be the first in the stack. This is perfect. I, I was, I was hoping we might be able to do this scene back in the tent where everything started. Oh, bookends. move. So for the time being, in order to get Fum settled and in order to add a little extra 24-7 watch to the cogs who have been freed, Fee and Pasak, if Pasak is willing, <laughs> has set up their tent to be in the encampment where the men are. Oh, I mean, sure, yeah, why not? Somewhere in here, we must have something in the way of ovens. 
because we've already established that there will be a Blackberry Cobbler. But it's maybe a day after we've gotten back mm-hmm. from our walk through the uh, the mountains back to the foothold. And Fum and Pasak and Fee are walking around taking a tour of the, the men's encampment. Fum has basically every charm that <laughs> Fee could make somewhere on him, a lot around his neck. It's clattering pleasantly. <laughs> <laughs> it probably makes him look even skinnier than he already was. <laughs> Since many of them are cloth or wooden beads or that sort of thing. They get him set up with a tent. There might be other men from Fee's clan, from the Malthus clan, that he can stay with just to get some uh, get some familiarity around him. And in order to be nearby, they've set up their tent as well. I think that... Fee is so incredibly glad to have her brother back. She's still, like, absolutely in shock about it. But every time she starts to feel happy about it or or any sort of joy, she kind of stops. And there's a guilt that falls over her. Oh, for sure. As she, especially as she looks over at Pasak. And Pasak has probably noticed how a moment will change as Fee and her brother are talking, as Fee and Fum are talking. I don't know how you want to have this scene in the tent. I don't know. Could just bring it back, right back to what Pasak said the first time. You're right, love. Cute. <sighs> I'm sorry it was him and not Loma. We've all lost things to the shadow. And, you know... I, I'll never really get over Loma as much as, as much as I, I didn't even know who he was after he left. I missed him. I'll keep missing him forever now, but hey, if I'm being here, that's one less person we've lost. That's something to be happy about. Would this count as an opening up role, do you think? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's that's a thing. Uh, let's see it. Let's make this. Let's see. It. Let's make it quick. Ooh, uh, that's a nine. What do I add to opening up to someone? Valor. Well, that makes it a ten. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so you get to choose two. On a 10 plus, choose two. Gain camaraderie with them. They must promise you something. You lower your weary by one. 
Ask them, what is your character thinking right now? You take plus one forward. Well, plus one forward ain't going to do me a hell of a lot of good yeah, right yeah, now yeah, since yeah. we're almost done. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to choose, they must promise you something and ask them, what is your character thinking right now? So... I want you to promise me that I mean, you know you can't take back what happened to Lerma but maybe maybe in the future there's something that you can do for somebody else so just try to forgive yourself for what happened and I know you care. Use that to protect anyone else we haven't lost yet. I can do that. Especially if you do it with me. Aww. Of course! You know, we've all got to do what we can for the... for the watch, for the fight against the shadow. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and for each other, I suppose. Oh. What what are you thinking right now? I'm wondering about Teddy. Oh me too. <laughs> she put us in a hell of a spot, didn't she? But wouldn't have fun without her. Would we? Fum mentioned he'd like to say thank you. He's uh, making her a cobbler. Oh, that's very thoughtful. Uh, I'm I'm going to see Teddy later. Um, bringing a note from Erdo, so uh, I can just take that with me when I do. I would really appreciate that. Actually, I <sighs> I'm not sure if I'm ready. To see her. I'll give her a piece of your mind for you. How about that? <laughs> uh, sure. It sounds good. Hasak, you've come down the hallway of a chamber, like of a series of chambers deep within the foothold. These are actually probably converted from old mines, so the walls here aren't smooth. They are jagged from small explosives and a pick and an axe that were extracting ore from here over time. And you are ushered in by another member of the Watch, uh, one who is a, a, essentially the warden of this place. Teddy is a bit of a uh, special case, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they're handling this with... She is indeed. <laughs> with close attention. So you are ushered to this cell, um, which is just one small dead end of the mine, merely eight feet deep and maybe four or five feet wide. It's a small room. You're you're glad just that it's high enough that you can stand tall in. <laughs> and it's just been a metal grate thrown across the front, which has a doorway built into it. Yeah, so what Pasak would see... Um, and what, you know, the viewer might see if they're seeing Teddy and herself before it's opened. 
is she is flicking something into the air, almost not even looking at it, and then catching it, and looking at it, and then catching it, and eventually she does look down on it, and it is the funeral rites charm <laughs> that she was handed <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yes. Mostly doing it because obviously a lot of her, uh, I assume that her, her, you know, her hand or her prosthetic is gone at this point, so she's doing this with her left hand. She wouldn't be able to do it with her right anyways because it's gone, but... Mm-hmm. And she's just flicking that, and she catches it right in time for the, the door to open. And I assume that there's a guard there with Pasak, right? Uh, yeah, so the warden with Pasak grabs the grate and pulls it to the side, letting them in. And then I'm going to say, yes, Teddy's reaction upon... So here's the thing. Teddy, is Pasak the first person to visit Teddy from the squad? The only person, right? Yes. From the okay. squad? I think so. Yes. I think at best... Erdo was there when she was booked. locked up. Sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But no one's come to visit her since. How? I'm just curious, David. How long has it? How long has it been? How many days has she been in here? After you arrived back, there was a flurry of activity, and it's it's been about a day. Okay, I will say during all that flurry of activity, Teddy has not seemed. Teddy is more than anything frustrated. She can't go out and try this again because she knows she can do it now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and so again, she would rather them just go ahead and kill her and get it over with or let her out and let her figure something out. Um, but I, I think out of everyone, I definitely don't think she expected to see Thief. She might have expected to see Erdo. Wherever she expected it, she definitely didn't want to see Pasak. And upon seeing Pasak <laughs> open the door, she looks at the guard and goes, can you just execute me now? Can we skip to that part? And the warden with a wry smile. We all wish it was that easy. Oh, don't we? And drags the grate back across um, to leave Pasak there with you. Um, I think Pasak, in a in a sort of like smug, uh, hands in pockets, kind of leaning back gesture, is like. What do you know? Don't suppose we expected to find ourselves here, did we? Perhaps a little bit more so than you think. Quick aside. Yeah. On the way over, Pasak looked at the note that Erdo had left. What does it say? It's written on a scrap of cloth salvaged from one of the straps on Erdo's armor, no longer suitable for purpose. Written in crude ink, again, cobbled together. Despite everything, we're still a squad, together, underlined. So, so Pasak leans back, looking smug, and, you know, at, at Teddy saying, you know, what did you say? Perhaps uh, more than you'd think. Perhaps more than you'd think. I mean, she she kind of, this isn't utterly anticipated for her. She knows what she's been experimenting with. And she just has been smart enough to have allies in the right places. But she she will never admit this to anyone, much less Pasak. She knows she probably stepped a little too far here. I think that Pasak is is drinking in the moment. Sure you are. Uh, uh, <laughs> just just being smug. Standing up while while Teddy is, is down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just take it, taking in, feeling like they can just not be under Teddy's thumb for yeah, freaking once. Yeah. But, but then their expression changes, softens, looks almost sad. 
Hate to admit it, but I think what she did out there was important. Your approval means absolutely everything to me, thank you. <laughs> it might mean more to you than you think. I'm going to advocate for you. And you may not think I'm particularly charming, but, you know, lots of people do. And who knows, maybe one day I'll even charm you. When you say that bit of you don't think I'm particularly charming, Teddy actually sits up and looks at you... Looks at you... I don't know how to describe it. Not full-on equals, but that she she, recogni- she recognizes the situation that she's in, and she goes, actually... She thinks for a sec, looks over, calculates how vulnerable she wants to be here versus how much she can gain from said vulnerability. That was perhaps the first time that I can remember that anyone has been able to convince me to do something I didn't want to do without having to pull rank. You are actually persuasive. Uh, Charming under certain circumstances, though, please do not ever think that that's going to be applicable to me. That being said, though, you have... I will admit to a degree of stubbornness on my part, but I am not without recognizing the utility of something. That persuasiveness of yours. Then she actually does, leans in a little bit with just a very slight smile and says, Would you be interested in learning how to use it a little more precisely? Oh, well, what did I get into the watch for except to be useful? (laughs) There you go. I came here to fuck. (laughs) And actually, no, I think, um, I think, uh, she says, well, actually, I I was assuming that you got into it to, you know, get into Fee's tent, but I'm willing to adjust if you are. You say that like that's the only tent I've gotten into. Anyway. Teddy, Teddy has a, I'm trying to think. I actually do want to soften her up slightly. She, she appreciates, you know, gender neutral termer. She appreciates someone being a bitch a little bit <laughs> uh, in her own way. Um, but she, she leans back. So, so besides uh, delightful banter, why exactly are you here? I got a couple of things for you. Um, Blackberry Cobbler. And this is from uh, our fearless uh, corporal, Edo. <laughs> uh, I'm aware of what her name is. I haven't been in here that long, so as to forget. <laughs> um, and so you hand her the scrap. Of, you hand her the scrap, right? Yeah, I hand point. her the leather. I hand Teddy the leather scrap. She looks it over, and not in a super scornful way, but does roll her eyes a little bit at it, and just <laughs> sort of like, but but actually, um. Folds it up neatly and puts it aside. <laughs> God, she is so incredibly sentimental. <laughs> I'd say you're pretty lucky that she cares about just about everyone. Yeah, lucky is one word to describe it with. <laughs> <laughs> well, despite everything, thanks to you, my brother-in-law is here. And he actually wanted to thank you with uh, with that... Uh, Blackberry Cobbler I mentioned, they've uh, probably finished uh, poking it to make sure there's no weapons or anything in it. 
He baked it himself. I'll, I'll go grab it. I'm sure it's a lot better than whatever they're feeding you in here. When you maybe, if you're okay with this, maybe make a step to like go out. Just wait. Um, how is he doing? Well. Are there any signs of any residual anything? Not that we've seen so far, but I mean, we're keeping an eye on everybody. All the cogs, uh, priorly cogs, all, all the, all the, uh, we're keeping an eye on them. Uh, seems all right so far. Hopefully there's nothing any more complicated than it has to be, but things being what they are these days. Yes. Never know. No, you don't. Um, when you say that, you know, about that, you know, he's doing fine or whatever, Teddy gives almost two looks at once, uh, kind of mixed. One is similar to the sort of slightly softer, slightly guilty look she was giving Fee. The other is one that Erdo probably would have seen her making every time she comes out of the shadow and she just says low under her breath to not even to Pasak, to no one in particular. She just goes, Fascinating. Uh, I think at this point, uh, Pasak, you've gone back to the cell door and, and rapped on it. Yeah. And the warden has pulled it back to the side and uh, brought you back to go and fetch your blackberry cobbler, which has been thoroughly inspected and a few bites taken from it. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> so as Pasak leaves, they're brought by the warden out to the left uh, and walk that direction back towards the way they originally came in. From the right, from what was in in shadows in the view, uh, another figure steps forward. Um, one who, Teddy, I think you're somewhat surprised to see come up to your cell. Somebody who would be allowed access even without the warden present. Yes. It's Parta, the leader of your clan and in the upper echelon of of the clan's council Parta enters the cell and she looks at you I think the first look she has on her face Teddy is bemusement um, perfect and she says to you well it seems like You've finally fought a scrap that maybe you won't win. Yes, I anticipated something as such. It's such a shame it had to be an incredibly, what was the word, meaningless scrap. She she eats that one. She she, she, that she takes one. that. Yep. Yeah. And as much as I deserve to be uh, in the cell as well. Yep. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and she. She looks, I think, off again, like to the wall where there is nothing. There's just the craggy stone. And uh, she says more to herself as much as to you. Well, it seems like we've both been wrong about a few things. And she reaches into her chest pocket uh, and she pulls out that folded note, which you saw before. And she looks back at you. And her her gaze is inquisitive or or like someone 
dissecting an eyeball on a table. So like Teddy, pretty much in most of the things that she yes, does. Yes, like Teddy most of the time. And I think like this is a look, this is a look that you've seen in her face before that you have it's one of those things that you knew about her that was a sign of her strength, of of her cunning, of her resolve. Um, and so this is a, a face that you, in a in a way, one of the reasons why you put your trust in her. It's one of the few faces that Teddy likes seeing from anybody. Yes. Um, and after inspecting you for a moment, she steps forward, steps closer, and she opens it this note in her hand and she hands it to you. It's a fairly long-winded message. In it, it describes in fairly graphic, gory detail the inevitable demise of the watch and all those who call the foothold their safe haven. And you read over it, and there's nothing remarkable about this, like, at first. Can I just briefly say, like, she's going to read over this. And so it describes, in what level of, does it put names or anything like that? Or is it more kind of poetic, just describing? This is is like poetic, almost manifesto-esque. This is like a message of warning from someone who doesn't care if you know. Interesting. Okay, so almost like... uh, like, you know, a, ter- a, a terrorist threat. wanting to it's bring a threat down letter. A, a, you know, country yes. is going to write down what they sort of see happening and what their goal is. Okay. And, and it is addressed to Parda. And there was a seal that has since been broken. This letter was essentially folded up on itself and sealed with Parda's name on the outside. Okay. So it was addressed to her and someone yes. is predicting. Their- She's going to look over it. Where did you get this? Leading up, leading up to this operation that has cost us so much and won us something. You're welcome. Our scouts encountered resistance. There was one group in particular who only their bodies were found shortly before we decided it was time to run our operation. This was found placed in the hands of one of our one of our women. And it was addressed to me and Tati. It's in my brother's hand. Teddy. Ooh, got that. A. Very good. B. Um, I think that probably does unnerve her a little bit. Um, although I do think, having seen everything she's seen, this is this is in the list of scenarios in her head of what could have happened. Um, she's going to look, turn a little bit unnerved for a sec. And then hand it back to her and says, well, hopefully he'll be as incompetent in death as he was in life. Fuck! God. 
and she accepts the the written letter back from you and folds it back up and places it within her pocket. Uh, and she walks forward to the door. Uh, Pasak, you see her silhouette there as you're approaching. Um, and she looks back at you, Teddy, and just says, Well, you sure haven't changed, and I don't imagine he has either. Hunter, I... This is a war, and in a war, everyone has a job and a purpose. And if everyone does their job correctly, sometimes to do it correctly, not everyone survives, not everyone makes it out in one piece, and not everyone gets to be loved. I am willing to do my job, and I helped put you where you are because I know that you are willing to do yours. And if you need to hate me to do that job, that's fine. Just let me do mine. I'll leave you to your work in this cell, then, Teddy. Understood. And... She steps forward into the hallway and Pasak, you've gotten, you and the warden both have gotten close enough to hear this. Uh, and I don't think she's quiet. You referred to as like putting her in her place. And this is like almost her speaking to the sky as much as to you. Yeah. There is no grander purpose to be had in all the world, is there? And with a a sad smile to you and i think like uh, to uh pasak even in passing hmm. she leaves pasak uh you are let back in by the warden into the cell and the other thing i would say is uh parda came by while all four of us were there so right. you've seen i t- Patty's not going to fucking tell you what her relationship to her is, but you would probably know if you know, if you pay attention, you might know that she's an important political figure. You certainly would have seen her at the council and you know that Teddy's talked and that Teddy probably seemed like she didn't really want to talk to her. So I'm just letting you know what Pasak might know so you can use that to frame whatever you're going to say. I think that uh, uh, Pasak would have, would, would feel probably just a little bit awkward because clearly this is like an awkward situation. Pasak sort of smiles as Parda walks away, um, knowing, of course, how important Parda is, um, but not knowing anything about the re- the relationship that Teddy has with her, other than boy, that was strained. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think Pasak uh, walks up and says, "Well, that didn't seem particularly friendly." Uh, lucky for you, though, um, you have more friends than you might think. Do you have the food? <laughs> and as and as Pasak hands over the the, uh, the blackberry cobbler, your just desserts. God, I, I think when when you say that just dessert, she's like, please tell me it's poisoned. Please tell me it's poisoned. Please, let's get this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, imagining. I'm not, I'm not Pasak, but I just hammer on it. 
slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pasak just smiling, shakes their head slowly. <laughs> <laughs> they checked. <laughs> um, they checked. Teddy will grab it and trying to maintain. Is there is there an implement to eat it with? Right. Uh, what 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 would the uh, I don't think there is. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I don't. I, anything yeah. they would give her is, yeah. Teddy, Teddy would be able to kill any of them. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. She knows how she she knows how to like disassemble someone's ligament with a paperclip. Probably Teddy might as well be Loki in like a glass box that they're keeping her in. <laughs> yeah. So she is gonna. Um, it's been you know a few bites of it. I imagine it's. I like. I envision that sort of crisscross. Yeah. Crust pattern on top. Yeah. And she just kind of dips a finger in it. I have something she's going to say about the pipe, but that's going to come at the end. And she actually does like give an acknowledgement of, hey, that's pretty good. Certainly better than whatever she's gotten so far. Oh, I just had an idea so, too. Can I, can I throw something in there? I think. Please. Uh, on the, oh, no, I know where this is going. In the crisscross uh, pattern on the top. I think that it is, it is very spider web esque. And I think that there's a spider. <laughs> I actually think, I think she smiles at that. <laughs> An actual genuine smile. Very slight, but still present. And then she's going to look up at Pasak and say, is that, you know, the offer does stand. You have a, I will admit I underestimated you. You have a skill set that could be useful. And I, how about this? negotiations. You help me get out of here and if I am restored again to a position of authority above you, as unlikely as that might be, you can make as much noise in that tent with that girl as you like. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's my kind of deal, love. (laughs) I am nothing if not perceptive. (laughs) All right, and we just Lastly, yeah, yeah, yeah. one thing she will do in sampling the pie, if Passat goes to leave, she's going to say, um, the, the boy, uh, Fee's sibling, um, tell him, uh, in gesturing to the pie, and she's going to give both the pie and from the biggest compliment that she is capable of, she's going to say, say, um, tell him you did a good job. Erdo, you have had the rare opportunity today of an audience alone with the field marshal. And you've been talking for probably half an hour, relaying every detail that you believe the field marshal should know about the mission that you've just completed and about the people you've brought back with you, and certainly about Teddy's involvement in it. I think you're drawing towards the end of that conversation when the field marshal asks you, What do you think should be done with Teddy? I am curious about how you feel she performed in this situation. No one meets with the field marshal one-on-one without panicking. 
Yes. <laughs> and Erdo has kept a lid on that surprisingly well, but she's not wearing armor. New pieces are being fitted and made. Mm-hmm. So her plain clothes are clearly marked with sweat. And she says, Field Marshal Dianus, I formally recommend that Teddy be returned to service in my squad after special training. Uh, and I think Dianus, her response to this is only to raise her right eyebrow. You can tell from her expression that she sort of expected this from you. Erdo clarifies, while terrible, how things exactly unfolded, watch injured that needed not be. Nonetheless, we got a huge win here when the clans hear of this. This might be the surge of hope that turns the tide. And at this point, Erdo reaches into a pocket and withdraws a dense but short stack of papers and presents them to the field marshal and says, With special training for all mystic-related units within the watch, I believe we may carefully and in a far more controlled manner than happened out there be able to exploit the shadow's weaknesses without risking ourselves and crucially Teddy doesn't connect well with many others I need to help fix that. I don't think that will be easy. I think that will improve unit cohesion and prevent a breakdown in the future. And she again offers forth this hastily but well thought out scrawled doctrine for flirting with the mystic. I think uh, she she taps with her her hand on the table, directing you to place the document there. And her face is largely inscrutable. You feel that heavy, heavy gaze of Deanna's attention, of the field marshal's full attention, um, as she picks over you. She she looks to the like slight twitch at the edge of your lips. She looks to the the sweat uh, on your brow and she says the words you don't expect to hear. Erdo, I... I think you're promoted. Field Field Marshal Dianus. This operation as... I'm sure you're aware at this point your piece in it just just a fraction has 
been an overwhelming success. Strategically, we've reclaimed most of the land we sought and brought our dream of ridding this land of the shadow ever closer. And she turns her face away to look out the the hard squares cut in the wall serving as windows. I think the sun is at a point in the sky where it's just trickling in. It's directly overhead and the light is just ambient as it comes into the room. And she looks back at you and she's a stern woman. While you have seen her crack a smile, I don't think you've ever seen her shed a tear. But she has just the pricks of one in her eyes as she says, But that effort in numbers cost 30% of our forces. And each one of those proud clansfolk who served were more than the sum of their numbers. We are at a point where if we are to move forward, we need new ideas. Uh, And she cracks the document. Sergeant Erdo. My schedule for the afternoon is free. Now, a clip from Meddling with Monsters. It is quiet, dark, and still off the coast of Smithage, Massachusetts tonight. And that is exactly how Dale Summers likes it. The brisk nighttime air braces against his face as he dangles his rod over the edge of his small boat. The fish aren't biting all that much so far, but that's okay with Dale. It's more about the chance to be out and alone with his thoughts. The town is just a small smear of dimly lit lights on the horizon. And if Dale turns his back to it, he can feel like the only person in the entire world. Adrift in a vastness so much greater than himself. It is a sublime feeling. Dale's moment of peace is disrupted, though, by another source of light. This time, a patch of cool blue radiating from underneath the surface of the water. Dale peers over the edge, trying to figure out where the strange light is coming from. At first, thinking it must be a buoy of some kind, or maybe one of those floating flashlights. But then it moves. It doesn't drift under the ocean's gentle sway. It moves, suddenly and swiftly, a little further out to sea. Dale falls back, startled by the sudden motion. The light is once again just floating there, tantalizingly close to the surface, but just not 
quite close enough to be clearly identifiable. Dale's instincts tell him he needs to turn the boat around to go back to shore, but there is something in the light, something that will not let him look away. Dale finds himself guiding his vessel over towards the light again, which begins to gently retreat once more, slowly leading Dale further and further out. It does this for some time, and then its course shifts slightly, making large, sweeping circles. As Dale's boat follows its path, the waters underneath begin to shift and swirl, the light's arc now tracing the outline of a growing vortex. Now, Dale and the light are slowly but steadily drifting towards its center, being sucked inward and downward. There is a deep, groaning sound from below, but Dale's ears don't register it. He is too transfixed on the light. Suddenly, the light goes out. Dale senses return to him, but it is too late now, too late to do anything, even scream, as he and his boat are pulled into the waiting mouth of the ocean. And then, as quickly as they were whipped into a frenzy, the water settled with no sign of the violence that has just occurred. It is once again quiet, dark, and still on the coast of Smithage, Massachusetts tonight. <laughs> 